Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold, and today we are breaking down the Vikings' impending matchup with the New Orleans Saints at the Superdome in Louisiana. Uh, so that will be the majority of this podcast, taking a look position by position, um, side of the ball by side of the ball, try to find some weaknesses in this uh, Saints team who is heavily favored, I may add, uh, in this matchup. Uh, so that's that's the that's the dominant part of the episode today. Then we'll give our picks for the postseason. Um, we're not going to go into gambling or anything like that after a regular season that was not fruitful on our end. So uh, we'll just do the we'll do some game picks and take a look at the uh, four matchups this coming weekend and have some fun with that. So that's the game plan for today. And with that said, oh, let's do a Thursday question. All right. Uh, let me pull up my document here. Did, last time we did this, we did Who's the Hottest Female Cartoon, so we can get rid of this one. Um, all right, how about uh, if you could bump into one person on the street? doesn't matter who it is. You just would like to run into that person on the street. Who would it be? Uh, like, I would assume this would mean like you, there would be a conversation sparked with said person. No, not necessarily. You just – someone – I mean, it could end that way. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to pick Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, why? Because that would mean either A, he is like out and about where I am. Yeah, that's what I think. That's or B, I am <laughs> in an important... Route, you took the I'm route in, that I wanted to go with this. I'm in an important enough place where I'm in the same spot as Tiger Woods and I'm able to run into him. So one of the two things is happening. and Either way, it's probably good for me. Yep. So I'm taking Tiger Woods. Yeah. Uh, see, I thought about this kind of the same way you did, where it was like, if you're, like, I would lo- like. There's just a bunch of people that I would love to just see, like, in street clothes, you know, yeah, just walking true. around, yeah. like, getting their own. Gro- like, you bump into like, I don't know, Lana Del Rey at the grocery store, like something, just something funny like that, just something ridiculous. So I tried to think of someone funny. I think that that I wrote this one down after Miles Garrett uh, got punched in the face, you know, oh, yeah. Remember, <laughs> by that Cleveland fan. Um, to me, I think that I would just like to see someone like, you know, like Alan Page or something like that, which I think is a good answer because Alan That's Page, like realistic. Yeah, because here's a couple of reasons. One, when I got a chance to, to talk to him at training camp for like 30 seconds, it was awesome. I really liked the fact that I've talked to Alan Page because that guy has lived. So in, in one lifetime, 
He has became arguably the best defensive tackle of all time and a Supreme Court justice. Like, how many lifetimes would that take you to do? Seriously. Like, that's just completely unbelievable. So I think he's an unbelievable person. And just being in his presence, I feel like if I could get any of that greatness to rub off on me, my life would turn out all right. So uh, I'm going with Alan Page on this one. But the thing is, is I bet that he does, like, his own shopping and stuff. So, like, you could run into, uh, you know, yeah, Alan Page that's at, realistic at Hy-Vee. for people that live in the Twin Cities. Yeah. I think it probably is. So uh, those are our answers. If you guys would like to share yours with us, feel free to do so uh, in the Daily Norseman comment section or on Twitter at unbelievable underscore MN. All right, let's jump into this breakdown here for this game. Uh, As Drew and I were talking about before the show, the Vikings are a heavy underdog heading into this matchup. If the media hasn't made that clear enough to you already throughout the week, uh, they are plus 340 on the money line. That means if you bet $10, you'd win $34. So quite a big, um, quite a big uh, spread there overall. They give, they're giving <laughs> they're giving the Vikings eight and a half points at this at, as of this recording. So uh, steep steep battle the Vikings are facing here heading down to the Superdome. Part of that is just because of the way Drew Drew Brees played in the month of December. I think. Uh, the mm-hmm. way that that offense is kind of clicking on all cylinders. Yeah. You know, Plus the way the Vikings kind of limped to the finish line. Exactly. It's not. A, I don't think this is a true reflection of the overall talent on both of these teams. It's just a number of different factors. I think those two be playing kind of a prominent role with the Saints very hot, the Vikings very cold, and then, of course, this, we're playing down at the Superdome this week, which is, as I said in the last show, one of the toughest places to play on the field. So let's start with Drew Brees then. Um, as I just said, coming off of NFC Player of the Month, uh, if you want to check out his stats for the last four games, it's pretty impressive. QB rating well over 100, uh, 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he was outstanding in the month of December, and he has historically been very good in the postseason as well. So what are the Vikings staring into? I mean, we know all the, the, the standard accolades, right? A former MVP, a future Hall of Famer, holds all the major volume records for passing. Uh, and then he also, of course, owns the single-season completion records. And I believe he will end his career as the all-time passing leader in terms mm-hmm. of completion percentage whenever that happens, too. So we've got all that on the table. But 40-year-old Drew Brees, who is he? Um, he's, you know, obviously he's a stud at uh, really everything at the quarterback position. Uh, but it's like um, it, I'm not as scared of him as I maybe should be. And I think a lot of that's because – of the way Mike Zimmer has contained him uh, since he really took over in Minnesota. Um, I think they've matched up four, four times. Um, and Drew talking. Brees has been, Drew Brees has been pretty much held in check uh, every single time. I mean, 2014 was like the first year, which I mean, this diff- defense was largely different, but they went to the Superdome and I think, you know, the Vikings kept on pretty low scoring. They just didn't generate any offense in that one. Um, 2017 season opener, Monday Night Football. Uh, it took like a garbage time touchdown for them to get on the board and, and actually score a touchdown. I think they had a bunch of field goals in that game. Uh, then obviously the playoff game where the first half they didn't do a darn thing. The game last season was a complete anomaly because Saints put up 30 points, but they had like a fumble along, a long fumble return. They had a pick six. So the offense didn't really beat them in that game either. So looking at this matchup, like I'm not scared of the offense in terms of the saints. I think my, my concern is the Vikings offense putting up points in this game, but as far as Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, the offense, I, I outside of Michael Thomas, I'm not scared of any of these playmakers. Camara's had a down year. 
Um, Taysom Hill will move all over the place, and he'll be a gadget guy. That's fine. He'll get his weird package snaps. Um, Ted Ginn can run fast. I mean, (laughs) there's not a ton that I'm scared of in this offense. It's just Michael Thomas will probably get his 11 catches for 120 yards in this game. That's He can have that. That's fine. It's just if if the Vikings can force somebody else to beat them in the key moments, I think they have a chance to contain the Saints to 20 to 24 points in this game. Yeah, so you bring up the point about Drew Brees against the Vikings in general. So the splits that I'm looking at in front of me include not just um, not not just the, his matchups against Mike Zimmer, but against the Vikings in general, to, to, just to see if we can get a gauge on if history's on our side. There's not a whole lot of value in these statistics, but he is six and four career against the Vikings. Uh, that's got a 72% completion, and he's got a split of 11 touchdowns to three interceptions with a passer rating of 105.8. So that's against his, the Vikings in his entire career. I, for whatever reason, could not find the game logs within the last 30 seconds, so I don't have anything else on there. But point being here is that he has been – he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. We can just start oh, right yeah. there and then with Drew Brees. Um, what makes him so successful at his current age is not necessarily his arm talent or his overall physical ability which I think rivals Tom Brady for being one of, you know, uh, at this point in his career, being one of the most physically incapable players, of in, quarterbacks in terms of maneuvering the pocket and getting outside the pocket and having to run away from a pass rusher, for example. But in terms of breaking it down a defense, I mean, he's second to basically no one. Uh, Tom Brady probably has the best argument there. It's kind of just like flip a coin. I don't think anyone has a true answer to that question of who's better at breaking down a defense, but those are 1A and 1B. So Breeze can beat you with his head, and when he's playing at home, as you love to point out whenever the, the, we talk about the Saints, he's historically much better playing at home than he is on the road. And I imagine a lot of that is because he can think when he's playing at the Superdome mm-hmm. and he feels comfortable with his surroundings, which, you know, that just makes such a big difference where the Vikings are playing this week. Because I really think that if we flip this net matchup and the Vikings are playing at home, Drew Brees, it wouldn't necessarily be as effective because of how much of his game at this point in his career is cerebral. So. That part of his game I'm definitely afraid of, and I'm with you in that sense. Now, the thing that I'm not afraid of is that he has turned into, one, he targets Michael Thomas a lot more than he has ever targeted any individual receiver throughout mm-hmm. his career, right? You look back in the, in years past on all the players that he used to target, it would start with Jimmy, Jimmy Graham, don't get me wrong, but then just think about all the random names that they threw in there before oh, yeah. it became Marcus Michael Thomas. Colston, Devery Henderson, like... Devery Lance Henderson Moore. was the one I was thinking of. Lance Moore Lance is another Moore. great one. I mean, think all these guys he made great, and I think that really Robert Meacham. Robert, Robert Me- yeah, and then he went, and then Robert Meacham went left and went to San Diego. It was still San Diego at that point, so I, I'm right when I say that. And he just fell apart completely. Lance Moore was kind of bounced around the league as soon as he got dumped by Breeze. My point being here is that Breeze has not has become less of a guy who drops back and finds the most open guy, and has now become more of. And I'm not saying he's not still able to spread the field, but he has become more of a guy who drops back and looks directly at Michael Thomas. And that's not necessarily a bad thing when the guy in the receiving end is, you know, have a Hall of Fame start to his career and is, you know, breaking receiving records and catch percentage records and, you know, out, like perfect route ran records. Like anything you can think <laughs> of with Michael Thomas this year, uh, he probably shattered that in terms of fundamental talent. So that certainly helps. Now, when, when Breeze is not targeting Michael Thomas, the passer rating goes significantly down. 
right? And so this becomes a matter of is it Breeze beating you or is it Michael Thomas beating you? And honestly, I think this is one of the few scenarios where the wide receiver has actually played a greater role in this relationship this specific year. I think Michael Thomas has elevated the talent of Breeze as opposed to Breeze elevating Michael Thomas, which he probably did earlier in you know Thomas's rookie season, for example. So my point that I'm kind of ramping up to here is that I think Breeze is an outstanding player, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. I'm not going to knock him whatsoever. But I think that if you eliminate Michael Thomas from the game or at least take him out to some degree, as you stated, don't let him beat you, then I think you've got a real chance to play them well defensively because you, you look at the other weapons that are on this offense for the Saints right now, and I mean, Ted Ginn is a one-trick pony. You went over that. He runs really fast. And that's honestly the best scouting report that you're going to find at Ted Ginn because <laughs> he runs a nine route, and once in a while he runs a seven, and that's all he does. And then he can be a bubble screen guy. Okay? So that's what you got there. That's your number two receiver. If you want to consider Traquan Smith your number two, that I'm fine with that as well. But this is a guy who has spent the last, the better part of the last year injured. Uh, he's not exactly a household name as it is. And really, if you didn't watch the Saints, you know, at least a couple of games the last few years, you probably don't know who Traquan Smith is. So the next guys on the depth chart here, you got Deontay Harris. Then we can include the tight ends, Jared Cook and Josh Hill as well. These are the passing targets that Breeze is working with. And he certainly can make these guys better. But if you eliminate Michael Thomas from this crowd, who is the best player here? Who is the biggest playmaker? Probably Jared Cook. Mm -hmm. And are you truly afraid of Jared Cook? I don't think so. So then that brings Alvin Kamara into the equation because he's such a good receiving back. But this is like they have a lot of these weapons. But if you can keep Mike Thomas to like eight catches for 60 yards, I think you feel pretty good about slowing down the rest of this offense based off of what we've seen from Alvin Kamara this year in terms of not being kind of the whole package as I think a lot of people expected coming into this year. And then the other guys that you've got are one-trick ponies and then Traquan Smith who's still developing. So mm -hmm. can is it Breeze beating you or is it Michael Thomas beating you? And if the answer here is Michael Thomas, I'm not saying that it is. That's just the theory that I'm working with here. If it's Michael Thomas and you can slow him down, this team becomes very beatable if you can if your defense plays the way it has the last couple of weeks, which yeah. has been a bright spot for the Vikings. Well, it, it, if the if the Vikings can limit Michael Thomas with one guy, then I think you know then you force Drew Brees to beat you with these other weapons and kind of pick apart this defense by himself, so to speak. Versus, like you mentioned, zeroing in on one guy and letting him kind of it, it has been for what it's worth like. Clearly, there's a chemistry there, and there's a timing involved in throwing to a guy that much, right? 885 targets, 150 catches. And who has the number two on targets on this team? Kamara. Yeah. Okay. Right so th these it's are your Kamara. Two. So it's here's the breakdown for targets and and everything. So number one is Michael Thomas at 185 targets. This is out of 550, by the way. So that's like my quick math there. It's like I don't know, 37 percent. Targets that's, or something. That's a really that's a really good guess. I'm I'm gonna double check you on that, but keep going. That I mean that sounds about right. That so feels 185 right. Five out of 100, 559 targets, uh, and then next is Kamara with 97 targets, and then you got Cook with 65, and the next receiver on there. So then you have Latavius Murray with 43. You have Ted Ginn with 56. So it's Michael Thomas, couple, and then it's your running back, then your tight end, then your running back, then another receiver. Uh, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit, honestly, it reminds me of the Packers because Rodgers will target Devontae Adams, then he'll use his running backs, uh, and then he'll go back to his receivers. But point being here, 
there's a couple ways you can go about this. You can say, all right, Thomas is going to get his, and then we're going to limit every everybody else. So Jabriz absolutely has no other option besides Michael Thomas. Or you can say, all right, we're going to double Thomas on every single play and let Ted Ginn or let Jared Cook win one on one and have the same or try and make Jabriz beat you that way. Those are the two options that you really have, I think, because I'm not scared of this run game. Uh, I don't think I, I'm. I mean, Latavius Murray's a good player. I think he's been probably more efficient, more productive this year than Kamara has. Um, and then outside of that, you have Taysom Hill might be thrown into some weird situations. He has six touchdowns receiving. This Taysom year, Hill is like his own conversation in itself on this podcast. Right, yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, he's yeah. like he just doesn't like. It's wild what he does. He's wild. Yeah. So. Okay, so we've established now that it's it's 31% of the targets, by the way, are going to Michael Thomas. So one out of basically essentially one out of every three dropbacks is going to Michael Thomas. All right? Now, those are just targets. Those aren't necessarily completions. But the, you, you have a great as – a, as, a, as the Vikings try to figure out how to beat the Saints, you have a great idea of where the ball is going to be 30, 33% of the time, essentially. And that's going to be in Michael Thomas's hands in some, some way, shape, or form. Now – then you've got Kamara, who eats up, like you said, probably another – well, if you include his running back touches on top of his targets, he's basically another 33% or so, and the rest is the field. And now let's talk about Taysom Hill because of the way that he is utilized within this offense because it really, like, it's it, it's it's in a league of its own. Like, he's not, like – there is no other player in this league that is used the same so way as Taysom Hill, and I don't really think there there's ever a couple ways. There's a couple ways to feel about that. There's – the where I strongly feel that strongly, but m- the majority of my feelings about Taysom Hill are, you know, he's an athlete and he's, I mean, he's just a guy that's able to do these things, but I don't think it's that special. Like you get him in there. He's just like, you know how, for example, Jarek McKinnon played quarterback in college kind of at Georgia yeah. Southern, but it was a triple option thing. Right. He was an athlete. They switched him to running back like that. Say Taysom Hill is basically that, but he's being kept as the quarterback label. But he's really just like a special team to running back, you know, and then he can come in and he gets a few snaps. He does his little gadget plays. You know, he's it's not like he's an elite talent at, you know, receiver. Like it's not like he's unguardable at receiver running routes. Uh, it's not like he's untackleable as a running back. Uh, it's not like he as a quarterback has to unbelievable arm talent where you can't stop him. He's a third string quarterback for a reason. So he's just a guy that gets a, some extra attention or some extra publicity because he still wears a quarterback number and he still is listed as a quarterback, but he just plays good on special teams and is a good enough athlete to get the ball sometimes on, on an offense that doesn't have really any weapons besides Michael Thomas. That's probably pretty fair because I think that you could put a lot of, just to add on to your point here, you could put a lot of guys that are starters in this league into Taysom Hill's role and they yeah. probably do it as well, if not better. Yeah, be I mean, what he does is unique, and it's cool because guys, guys listed at quarterback don't do that. But right. he's like he's not dangerous to the Vikings to me. Like if he's on the field, he's just another guy that could get the ball. He's, but, he's just like Ted Ginn, where he could get the ball on this play. See, I agree with you in that sense. But the only thing is, is that it's kind of a dead giveaway when he's on the field that he's going to be involved in some capacity. 
because mm-hmm. he's not on the field for every single offensive play. So yeah. when he is on the field, you could bet one of two things, and this really doesn't narrow it down or help you at all from an analytical standpoint, but he's either going to be the guy getting the ball or he's going to be involved in the kind of the illusion that the Saints create so that defenders flow to Taysom Hill yeah. in order to get someone else wide open. So, of course, that's what any player does like does throughout a game when they're either being targeted or yeah. Quote, well, it's not it's, targeted, it's the gadget thing. That's that was the issue I had with Cordero Patterson, right? Uh, as, a, as a Viking, because he couldn't run routes when he was brought on the field. You knew some sort of gadget play and that's was what coming Taysom up. Taysom Hill is, and it, but yeah. it, but it works for the Saints for some reason. And I think <laughs> it does. It does. It doesn't make sense because every single time he. Taysom Hill does anything, there's the swarm of the, the Twitter feed is hilarious because there's the people who are like, why does Sean Payton keep doing this? Like, they just, like, the whole, like, Sean Payton just needs to, like, feed his ego by getting Taysom Hill involved so he can continue yeah. to be oh, yeah. this offensive mastermind, which, for what it's worth, probably kind of a fair, like, weird take there. Like, possi- kind of possible because we've seen how Sean Payton is and how much he enjoys being kind of a wonder – well, he's not really a wonder kid anymore because he's older – but being one of the best offensive minds in the league, he certainly appreciates that title. So there is that element to it. And then there's the people who are like, my God, this guy is a Swiss Army knife. And he is because he can make tackles and throw the ball. But that's that's basically all that T- Taysom Hill is. What makes this offense great as a whole, though, and really this has been kind of a staple throughout the career of Drew Brees, he's always had a very solid, if not great, if not elite offensive line to protect for him. Mm-hmm. The Saints have done a tremendous job throughout his entire career. It doesn't matter. Like Basically, since he walked in the door in New Orleans, he has gotten excellent percep- uh, protection. And this year is really nothing different. They, do, they have done a, just an unbelievable job scouting offensive linemen you know, for the better part of the last decade. And this group that they have in there now is really as good of a unit as they've ever had. And that starts with Teron Armstead on the, on the left side, who – I'm sure you are aware of his name because of the number of Pro Bowls that he has been in and just the overall, um, when you think of offensive tackles, Tron Armstead tends to fall in that top 10 range most years. Then you've got Ryan Ramchek, who has been arguably one of the best offensive linemen, period, this year. He's on the right side. Uh, We're all very familiar with him as Vikings fans because I'm sure a lot of you took a look at him coming out of Wisconsin as a prospect. And he's been outstanding since he got to the NFL. you got the three guys on the inside. Andrews Pete, who kicked inside, I believe, the year that they drafted Ryan Ramchek. He is a former offensive tackle. He's had an okay switch to the guard position, in my opinion. He's not as good as he was on the outside relative to the interior, but he's still a solid player. You got Eric McCoy at the center position. I believe he's a rookie, and he's been a very solid one at that. And then you've got Larry Warford that has been a staple in the NFL for you know many years, kind of bounced around a couple of different teams, and he might be having his best year to date. So that's your front five, and that's what allows Drew Brees to be, you know, have concrete feet in the pocket because he has such good protection. Now, there isn't really a definitive weakness on this line either. You just, like, the simple answer here is the Vikings are going to need to find a way to get pressure because if you give Drew Brees more than three seconds in the pocket, good luck. The Vikings will lose this game. I'm, I doesn't matter what, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, period. If he gets more than three seconds consistently, he's going to break you down mm-hmm. with, you know, with his mind, and Sean Payton will call the right plays more often than not to put the Vikings defense in a bad position, and Drew, Pre- Drew Brees is going to find the right guy if you give him too much time. Just game, set, match. That's just how it's going to work if, that, if the Vikings aren't able to get pressure. Now, if there is a weakness, it's maybe the fact that Ryan Ramchick is in his, what, second year in the league? Mm-hmm. And Third then, year. 
third year, okay? Yeah. And then you've got Teron Armstead, who has been in and out with injuries the last couple of years. So there might be some sort of, you know, way to maneuver around them when you're staring down Daniil Hunter, who is, you know, arguably one of the best edge rushers in the NFL right now. He doesn't get the publicity for it, but he's right up there with a lot of these guys that are coming off the edge. And Everson Griffin is just wild, and I always trust him in a playoff matchup because he doesn't need any help to get up for this type of game. He's just... He's going to be nuts, and I expect him to have a solid performance. So I like that matchup with Armstead. I think that's one to watch and one that could really make a difference in this game because if you get to Breeze on the blind side, I think that he becomes a bit of a different quarterback because he can't sit back there and feel comfortable. And that can be said about a lot of quarterbacks, but when you're mm-hmm. dealing with a quarterback who isn't very mobile in the pocket, it becomes that much more important if you hit him early. Yeah, I think that was the difference in that playoff game in that first half. Um you know, Everson Griffin got after uh, Drew Brees quite a bit. Uh, Daniel Hunter got get after Drew Brees quite a bit. He made a couple mistakes early on, and it was, uh, I mean, that's how the Vikings got out to a 17 nothing lead in that game. Uh, so I, I do think there is, a, you know, a little bit about Drew Brees that if you can get to him, um, you can speed him up a little bit. But it seems like, you know, when you watch him, especially at the Superdome, it seems like that offensive line does play a lot better, and he's able to be way more comfortable than he would be on the road in a hostile environment. So I think the Saints have that advantage on their side. Um, but, you know, Daniel Hunter, Everson Griffin, again, that's one of the best uh, pass rushing duos in football. And, um, you know, it, like I, we've talked about every single show, it's not about necessarily getting the sacks. It's not about, you know, making sure you uh, get those sack totals up to like 10 in the game or whatever. It's about getting two debris and rallying him just a little bit and maybe forcing that mistake, maybe forcing that interception, whatever it is. And so I, I think the Vikings, to, to that end, they always have an advantage against the other team, yeah, the, the opposition, because of that Griffin-Hunter duo. Um, Griffin hasn't didn't put up the sack numbers necessarily that you'd, you'd expect from somebody that, you know, I'm talking pretty highly about, but it's about the pressure. It's about the hurries, I guess, uh, on the quarterback. And that duo is... Every single week, they're rushing quarterbacks a little bit more than they're used to. So from that aspect, I do think Breeze will be hurried a little bit uh, more than he's maybe used to. And I think the Vikings will, um, you know, from that perspective, they'll have they'll be able to contain this offense. And they won't be putting up, you know, like the, the 40 points that they have in a few, in a few games this year. Uh, I, I think it'll be relatively low scoring. Again, we'll talk about the Vikings offense. I think that's where my concern lies for the most part. Yeah, certainly after that Green Bay game. Uh, it's fair to have that concern heading into uh, this matchup here. So um, let's finish up here with the offense real quick. Uh, I just want to point out that I think that the biggest weakness offensively for this Saints team is that if you force them to to run between the tackles, I just don't trust Kamara being able to do that. He's just much better as an outside rusher. So if you see Latavius Murray get into the game repeatedly, uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that, that those are going to be plays that are going to be made with inside the tackles as opposed to Kamara where they like to get him to the edge. So it to me, it it's all predicates on this passing game, which unfortunately is the biggest weakness of probably this entire Vikings team, is that they're going to try to consistently pass the ball, move it downfield, and you know run gadget plays with Kamara and Taysom Hill as well. Uh, Michael Thomas also catches bubble screens from every now and then. Ted Ginn can be used kind of interest in interesting ways, I suppose. So there's a lot of different things that are going to run through this passing game, but I don't I don't see the rushing attack for the Saints being a true threat. I just don't think that Kamara is truly like he's not your stand. He's a new age running back. 
He's more like the the goal of him playing running back for you is just to find different ways to get the ball in his hands as opposed to just handing it to him and let him run downhill. He's not Derrick Henry. You know, he's much closer to Aaron Jones. And for that reason, if you can slow him down in the passing game, you take a whole dimension out of this offense because of how they like to use the running backs passing the football. So the the defensive backs are going to be tested for the Vikings all game. I think we're all well aware of that. Uh, But ultimately what this comes down to for me is that if you can keep Michael Thomas basically under 75 yards, you're going to put, you're putting the saints in a different position. That's a huge, I mean, under, I mean, under 10 catches, under 100 yards would be a huge win just because of how often he's targeted. He's going to get 15 targets in this game. And that's probably uh, can, if it's still competitive yeah. for four quarters. That it, That's just the way it is. He's going to get that many targets. And he's, and because of that, he's going to put up numbers. Um, it's just limiting, A, you know, how many yards he gets on those targets, you know, tackling after the catch, all, all that right. good stuff. Uh, but then also, I guess, for me, like, it's the third and eight. Like, on third and eight, can you make someone else beat you? On you know, like it's if there's a key drive in the fourth quarter where Vikings are miraculously leading by three points uh, in there, maybe the Saints have one final drive to go get a field goal or something. Can you make someone else beat you instead of Michael Thomas? Um, if they can, I, I think they'll have a chance. But again, you know, they'll have to score points first to uh, be in that situation. Absolutely. All right, let's get over to the Saints defense here. Uh, the defensive line is chucked with. One really talented guy, and then three other guys on this team. That's kind of how that <laughs> defensive line looks, to be honest with you. And the really talented one is also the loudest one. He's been hilarious all week, and that's Cameron Jordan. He's going to come off the edge. He's one of the most dominant pass rushers over the last, what, probably four or five years or so with Cameron Jordan. Um, he's been running his mouth all week, and if you haven't mm-hmm. been paying attention, it's been a lot of fun, really. Like It's like he's taking those subtle jabs that are taking like that are like offending people who are easily offended, but everyone else can oh, kind of yeah. have some fun with it, you know? And he's like he made he made fun of the Vikings for quote being on their fifth quarterback since the last time these two teams played, and I, I think that he's a real I, like in general he's got a very fun personality. He just he just happens to be the guy this week that the Vikings are trying to turn into. Yeah. you know the latest edition of what's it, what was it Zach? Uh, I don't even remember his name. The line Zach Brown, trying to turn him into the latest oh, yeah. latest Zach Brown. <laughs> That's right, because so was that. That was the Eagles game where yeah. he like called out Kirk for not being very good, or called said took a shot at Kirk Cousins for, mm-hmm. for something. And uh, of course, the story goes that Kirk lit up the Eagles, and and Zach Brown was was cut. Now I don't believe that would never happen here. Cameron but... Jordan's not getting cut, so that that's not necessarily going to be the the narrative here. But uh, it, you're right about the whole like it, it. People that get offended easily are offended by this because like. He's just he's he, a he's he's not saying anything false. I mean I mean he, obviously he's he's not literally meaning that there's been five quarterbacks. He's making it. He's dramatized. He's and he's, the, and the divisional round match or uh, the Minneapolis miracle. But it's he's just saying like the Vikings have. I mean it's true. The past ten years they've been going through quarterbacks rather you know at a at a rapid rate. While he's making the same joke the that time. you probably have drunk at a bar yeah. about the Vikings quarterback situation right. before. And now people oh well Kirk had a pretty solid season. Oh well now, you know, if you make fun of this guy, pff, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, and so I don't know. I mean some might play into the narrative that uh or might kind of I think it's legitimate like, oh, you know, he's turning on pissed off Kirk now because We've seen like twice now, maybe ever I in hope his he career, did. like when he's mad, he plays well. So now this is a thing that just happens all the time. It's like when Kirk Cousins is mad, he plays well. I I don't know if I don't know if I buy that, but it, 
I like Cameron Jordan. He he seems like a cool guy to hang out with, and I, I like he and Teddy are kind of why the Saints team is cool. After that, I don't really know if I like like Sean Payton or any of those guys, but who I don't know. Yeah. All right. So the rest of this defensive line, you got Shy Tuttle on there. <laughs> name. Keeping in mind, by the way, that they are missing a couple of key pieces on their defensive line. Sheldon Rankins and Marcus Davenport are both on injured reserve. So the Vikings dodge a bullet in that facet. Uh, you look at the defense. Excuse me. You look at the linebackers then on the second level of this defense. Uh, Demario Davis is having one of the best line, best years period uh, for a linebacker right now. Uh, if you're interested in his PFF grade, it's ninety point one. That puts him in the blue stripe. So on PFF, that signifies an elite defender. And from what I have seen from Demario Davis, that grade reflects the the play, the eye test, if you will. So he's been outstanding all all year long. They've also got Kiko Alonso, who has bounced around the league. I think he started his career in Buffalo, went down to Miami, and now he is on the Saints via trade. And then you've got a couple other guys, Craig Robinson and AJ Klein. But the two big names there. To me, Demario Davis and Kiko Alonso are going to be the names that kind of jump off the. You'll hear the announcer call those two names far more uh, frequently than AJ Klein or Manti Teo or Craig Robinson or anyone else for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think AJ Klein had that pick six. I mean, the Panthers are throwing, handing out pick six left right. and right all season, so that's not, not not necessarily anything to be too proud of. But uh, I mean, yeah, you're right about Davis, and uh, you know this last linebacker is not super special, but. Uh, I, I think as a as a whole, they're they're a d- unit that's playing really well together, and uh, like I, I, th- this defense combined with the Vikings' lack of offensive production for I mean a few weeks now, um, to me it signifies a potential tough matchup here. Uh, these guys are talented, and the secondary has got a bunch of talent too. So uh, I know you'll you'll kind of run through the names on those guys, but um, you know it's we like to make fun of Marcus Williams for the memes and whatnot, but he's actually a stud player. He's been very, uh, very good this year. He's and been very, very good. It's so funny because it, it, every time he's the one who gets caught, like, kind of with his pants down, like, he's good every other play, except for when he's on national television. Yeah. Seriously. Expect, yeah, well, yeah. And it's, it's a type of thing, too, now, where because of that play, like, every time he does get beat or every time right. he does miss some, an assignment, whatever I feel it is, bad for the guy. it's really going to be do. magnified. Oh, yeah. Because – he blew. He definitely blew it on that miracle play. Don't get me wrong. He missed the tackle, but like that really shouldn't define. Like he's done a really nice job not allowing that moment to define his career. He, he, that was his rookie season. He was yeah. he was tremendous that season. And he's besides only, that play. And yeah, and he's really only gotten better. I mean, this guy is going to get paid big bucks. You know, it's going to happen mm-hmm. sooner or later with the way he's played. It's just we all remember him for that moment, and Vikings fans especially. And I don't blame you for remembering that moment because that moment was fantastic, and we should talk about it as much as possible on Sunday. So, looking at the rest of this, <laughs> this Saints secondary here, you've got the new guy, the import from the Giants, who dropped a, let's call it a slur, I suppose, on Twitter. I said the R word, uh, Janoris Jenkins I'm speaking of, and he was released from the Giants shortly after and picked up by the Saints because the Saints don't care. And they also have Marshawn Lattimore from Ohio State, a former first-round pick. Uh, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league, period. Uh, he's your number one guy. He's your shutdown corner that will be, I, my imagine, will be shadowing Stephon Diggs around on Sunday. Yeah, he, uh, he tra- he's the last couple times I've matched up, he's traveled with Thielen for what it's worth. Okay. Um, I know in the playoff game, the miracle game, he was traveling with Thielen. And last year, this is right after Thielen had, I think it's actually dur- it was during his streak of 100-yard games, uh, 
Lattimore traveled with Thielen. For what it's worth, Thielen did put up 100 yards in that game as well, but a lot of that was in garbage time. Absolutely. And then you round out the list of this cornerbacks with two guys, Eli Apple, who his mom is louder than his game, and he has not been very successful. The Vikings historically have toasted him, whether he's on the Giants or the Saints, it doesn't matter which. And then P.J. Williams, who the last time, I believe it was the last time these two teams matched up with each other, actually won uh, Defensive Player of the Week after getting roasted for an entire half but had a big pick six late in the game. Yes. And that's that's exactly that. No, the pick six, if you remember, was Diggs unfortunately stopped on his little crosser crossing route at the absolute worst time because that was right as Kirk was in his motion to release the ball. P.J. Williams did not stop running and actually caught the ball in stride and then took it to the house. So it was it's it's one of those really lucky pick sixes that he probably didn't deserve, but yet he got the defensive player of the week there you uh, go. anyway for it. And then we get to the safeties, Marcus Williams, who we just elaborated on. Outstanding player, just a couple of not awesome moments for him. And then Von Bell out of Ohio State. He's a former, I want to say he's a second-round pick, but I believe he had he definitely had first-round talent because I remember really liking his play coming out of Ohio State. And then you've also got DJ Swearinger, who's on the team, but he's not <laughs> much of a much, not much of a factor. And then Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who I believe last week I saw show up on red zone because he had an interception. Uh, he's another factor within this uh, secondary. So as I a everybody, complete... I think everybody intercepted the Panthers last week. <laughs> That's true. So you look at this this group as a whole, there's a lot of huge names. Uh, Janoris De- Jenkins being one of the best, you know, best players at his position a couple of years ago. So a lot of people remember him in that way. You got Marshawn Lattimore, as I said, as a first-round pick, just comes in with inherent kind of bias towards him. Uh, Apple being another first-round pick, honestly. And then you got P.J. Williams, who I believe was a second-round pick coming out of Florida State. Uh, there's just a lot of kind of – there's more bark than bite with the secondary, I think. But there is also – like, don't get me wrong here. I'm not trying to take too much away because there is a lot of talent here. And it really, it starts with Lattimore and Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's something – to be said about what you're kind of, the point you're making in that like there's a ton of name power yes that that's what isn't I'm necessarily like I, I i know what you're saying like these guys it, like, it, it I, means, like for example eli apple hasn't really lived up to first round but pick, everybody like, knows billing. his name because yeah. he was at ohio state and because he came out as a yeah, first round yeah, pick. yeah yeah yes yeah. I, I get what you're saying uh but i th- my concern with this matchup is just okay so I'm just looking at the Vikings and their games. You know, when was the last time they truly like lit up an opponent, right? I mean, that Chargers game was a lot of the turnovers created by Phil Rivers, yeah. short fields, um, and a lot of field goals too in that game. For what it's worth, it was a lot of um, they didn't they couldn't punch in the end zone. That Lions game was blah. Um, the Seattle game, you know, you got some garbage time comeback uh, playing against the soft defense, you know. Uh, this 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 unit has not like truly lit up a defense since really the second half of that Broncos game, right? Something like that is probably the last time that you've that we've seen this team kind of really gel. And I mean, we're going on you know a third of the season at this point where they haven't really played. You know, that middle part of the season was was great. They were lighting up every opponent they played. Um, it was really when Thielen was out, and since he's returned, there hasn't been that that big time performance yet uh now i maybe it happens this week maybe it doesn't i don't know but this something isn't quite there since uh, mid-season and their their hope to winning this week is that they find whatever that was and does this correlate at all with with dalvin cook's shoulder 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe um, a little bit. Maybe. Uh, I guess I don't know how. A, I don't know how badly the shoulder injury is. Because it started in Denver, him. right? It the started in the second half of that game. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it, it maybe. Um, I, I'm just curious me, how big believes, of a factor he is this week. Part of me believes. Like, I think I've told this or said this to you on the show, but like, I don't think his presence is as big of a deal as it like I'm maybe like would suggest now I maybe got would get burned for that take after watching the Vikings offense against the Packers with Mike Boone leading the way um but I think this offense when it's at its best is very much predicated on starting with the play action pass starting with the pass to set up the run for later in the game so I think that this team should be and as at its best when it's pass first which is why I'm not like super bummed or like you know Oh my God! Dalvin Cook has to have the best game of his life for the Vikings to win. Like I don't think that's exactly what it is at all. And I don't know. It, I think Kirk is. I think play action works with any running back, not necessarily just Dalvin. Is I guess what I'm any saying. Any running back that's a threat, and I think and yeah. Dalvin Cook definitely falls under that umbrella. So, uh, quick rundown of this defense one more time. The big playmakers here: Cameron Jordan off the edge. Uh, he's the superstar. He's the loudmouth. He's funny. He's Honestly, he's a really good guy. I mean, I know Vikings fans are going to hate him this week, but I think he's just, there. He's the Saints' Man of the Year nominee, and he has been a couple times now. Yeah, so he's an outstanding he's, human yeah. being, and he's just a lot of fun. So uh, I wouldn't just don't take any of that. Don't be the person that takes that too seriously. Okay, if don't you be listen, the person that gets offended that your because your quarterback had a pretty good season, that someone else wants to poke fun at the organization for going through quarterbacks like like dryer sheets for. <laughs> Like a decade. Yeah. All right, so Cameron Jordan's out coming off the edge. Watch out for him. you got the linebacker, Demario Davis, who's been outstanding sideline to sideline, a great tackler. Not necessarily a guy that's going to impact in terms of sacks or big statistics that we love to talk about, but someone that will make big plays throughout the game on the field in terms of creating tackles and minimizing big plays. Uh, and then on the back end, keep an eye on Marshawn Lattimore, who uh, – because of the way Thielen has played the last few weeks coming off of injury, I'm curious to see if, in fact, he does shadow Thielen again. But uh, there's, I guess there's, you know, history says he'll sh- shadow Thielen. My guess is that he'll shadow Stephon Diggs. Uh, and then Marcus Williams, he uh, is as good of a ball, a ball hawk as you're going to find in this league at free safety. So those are the big names here. I'm going to ask you this question coming off of that. Who is more, whose success this week is more important to the Vikings capitalizing against this defense, Dalvin Cook or Adam Thielen? Adam Thielen to me. And why is that? I mean, again, I, I really think this offense should be and is pass first when at its best. And I think having – a the viable other threat besides Diggs. Now Diggs is going to be your deep threat, probably the guy that's going to take the top off the defense a time or two, or hopefully a time or two in this game, take that shot down the field. Thielen's lack of, I think Thielen's you know zero catch performance against the Packers for whatever reason he wasn't targeted. I think there's a lot of things involved there, but sure, uh, he didn't have a catch in that game, and I think that had a bigger impact than Dalvin not playing. Um, so I think you get both those guys involved. You have you really can't double one because you'll leave one single covered. Uh, if you can get those guys involved where they get, you know, half the targets or something like that, uh, I think the Vikings passing game can get back to kind of that midseason form and or I guess better than that, really, because they didn't have Thielen for that stretch of the, of the season. So I think that's where they should start things is get after the, the Saints right away with play action, take those shots deeper down the field. And then once they've kind of got a rhythm there, that's when I think Dalvin will be able to really take apart. Uh, that, that defense and these linebackers, but I'm I'm on I'm on the page, uh, kind of on the belief that you get Thielen and Diggs involved early and often, 
and from there is when you kind of start to sprinkle in Dalvin Cook. So I, I'm with you. I think that Adam Thielen is more important for somewhat of a separate reason. I just think that if the Vikings are going to win this game, it's going to be they have to win a shootout. This is the type of game that you go out like this is why you paid for Kirk Cousins. I don't need to put more pressure on his shoulders because this is a little bit unrealistic, I think, for Vikings fans to expect him to win this game. I still think that, like, obviously, like, you're hoping to win this game, but it, the, to me, this isn't an expectation game because of the situation that the Vikings are facing. As I said a million times, it's a bit of an uphill battle. But this is the type of game that, like, for the re- this is why you have Kirk Cousins to try to outduel Drew Brees. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's possible, but this is why you pay him that money. And so that, to me, that's. This game, if the Vikings are going to win, it's going to end like 35 to 31 or something like that. This isn't going to be a 17 to 14 defensive battle. If the Vikings are yeah. going to win this game, Adam Thielen needs to be involved. And the yeah. Vikings need to be able to throw the ball efficiently downfield. And, you know, if they can run the ball too, that's, don't get me wrong, that's nice. But I just don't think that Dalvin Cook's role is as important in terms yeah. of, like, he might be important in terms of creating yards and opportunities, but the guys who are going to be getting the yards, I think, if the Vikings are to win, are Diggs and Thielen. you got to take mm-hmm. advantage of those matchups. If you're, you know, if Marshawn Lattimore is having a good day and you just want to stay away from him, I feel pretty confident with, you know, Eli Apple. You could target him with whoever oh, yeah. you want, you know? Uh, it's yeah. just, And P.J. Williams really the same, and I, I get that he burned the Vikings the last time, but, you know, if you can, that was you a can, fluke. <laughs> you can try to get away from the big playmakers on this defensive back, uh, defensive backfield for the Saints, and that to me starts with Adam Thielen. So, um, let that kind of bleed us into our game predictions for the week. Uh, we'll start here with Minnesota uh, and New Orleans. We've given you all the information. Uh, you guys know what Vegas says. So you know what the national media thinks. Are you kind of on the same page that the Vikings will ultimately lose this weekend? I am. Uh, I'm not going to – I think it would be insane to expect the Vikings to win this game. I think you mentioned that already. Um, I'm going to go – yeah, I think the Saints win by about 10. Uh, I think it. I think they can keep it competitive for like two or three quarters. Uh, but I think just in that environment, that's that probably – it's a top three tough, you know, stadium to play in in the NFL. Right. Um, and you have, you know, while we can kind of – we harped on their weapons or lack of for a long time besides Michael Thomas and Kamara uh, – you know, Breeze and Thomas have the best probably rapport between QB and receiver in the NFL. Their timing is impeccable on those timing routes, and I think that's a large reason of uh, the, the the numbers that Thomas has put up. So I think it's going to be something like 27-17. Like, I think it's going to take a, a, a remarkable performance from Kirk. Uh, but like, here's the thing. We're going to know in the first you know six minutes of the game uh, what type of performance we're going to get from Kirk because – like if he gets rattled early on in the game, it's just it's curtains. It's over. Like he, the Vikings' offense just won't click. But if he can kind of get into rhythm right away, give a couple screen passes, maybe or a play action shot down the field, I think the Vikings will have a chance. But it, I, I'm just not confident based on what I've seen the last few ga- few games from this offense. Absolutely. Um, I unfortunately am taking the Saints as well. Uh, I've I've got you know if I was betting, which I really should not be, I would be taking the Saints spread here to cover I would I expect yeah. the Saints to cover their spread and that's what I say at the top eight and a half right now I would take the Saints right now because yeah. I think that ultimately the Saints offense for the we did point out the weaknesses they they do exist and they exist on every single team but the Saints cover up their own weaknesses better than essentially better Sean than Payton's any, really good he's really, really really good. good any offensive weakness that they have whether it's in terms of not enough 
quality personnel Drew Brees has been able to cover up and as he's kind of aged into the late stages of his career the offensive scheme has adapted to his style of play and they've gotten playmakers around him that can hit the big play you look at mm-hmm. kind of the the thing that's similar that's kind of consistent among all of these player all these offensive playmakers is pretty much every single one of them at n- if if nothing else they are a threat to hit the big play yeah Jason they're all run threat Taysom Hill, Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris. Jared Cook. Jared Cook. All of those guys are threats to hit the big play. And then you've got the consistent factors in Kamara and Thomas. I just think that's too much for this Vikings defense right now. I don't think the the Vikings offense can keep up with them. I don't trust, like, you know, Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes to, like, stop Ted Ginn. Like, it's it's probably going to come down to a scenario at some point in this game, whether it's early on or, or later in the game, where there's like a third and nine, and you have one-on-one Ted Ginn versus Trey Waynes or Ted Ginn versus Xavier Rhodes. Do you, do you expect those guys to win that? Uh, two years ago, you would have said absolutely, but I don't know if that's the case now. Uh, but, like, I, I think I tweeted this earlier this week. Like, there are two likely outcomes for this game. One, Vikings just get blown out because these are how playoff losses go. For and the that's kind of how I see it happening. Either it's either a blowout or the other number two. Vikings outplay the Saints for majority of the game and then lose in epic fashion. One of those is going to happen. the The third likelihood of them winning is like the far, like pretty far down the list of likelihoods to me. So that's those are the two to look forward to. Uh, if you're a Vikings fan, it's going to be great. This would be a big, big upset relative to Vegas odds yes. if the Vikings were able to pull off this playoff. Game. Essentially, Vegas is saying they'll have like a what one in four chance, more or less. Yeah, so. Vikings have a 5.6% chance to appear in the Super Bowl, according to ESPN odds. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. This first, this opening game obviously plays a, the weighs a ton on that figure. So, uh, yeah, that will that rounds out our Vikings analysis for the week, and uh, we'll quick run through the rest of these postseason games and give a little snippet for you, and then we'll be done here. So, uh, Buffalo and Houston, they have the first postseason game. It's a matchup between Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson. You know, one of my favorite non-Vikings teams uh, in the Houston Texans, uh, J.J. Watt returns to the field. You know, Watson has been up and down this entire season. Still a very, very good quarterback, but he has had some very soft weeks. And generally those soft weeks are coming against great defenses, which is what Buffalo is trotting out behind its very erratic uh, running back of a quarterback that they have there. Yeah, I'm taking Houston because I like their quarterback better. Um, and they're playing at home uh, as well. But I do think it's possible that both quarterbacks just play really poorly and Houston wins like 16 to 9 or something like that. The thing is, though, is that if Josh Allen plays poorly, like Buffalo doesn't have, like, there's no one to catch him offensively. If Josh Allen isn't on his game, like if he's turning the ball over consistently or if he's just straight up airmailing wide receivers, which is he, he does have a tendency to do. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league right now, but he doesn't really know how to rein in that arm quite yet. And if he, come, if he comes up, small i mean devin singletary's not going to beat you i'm sorry right. he's a solid running back frank gore is he yeah frank gore is on the buffalo still <laughs> okay those guys aren't going to beat you and john brown for as prolific of as a season as he has had relative to his contract he's not going to beat you single-handedly okay so ultimately it comes down to the fact that i think ro- that houston has a better roster construction right now and like you said they got the more consistent better signal caller playing at home give me houston as well uh, next one on tap, Tennessee 
and New England. What is it, the first time in a decade that New England is playing on Wild Card Weekend? Yeah. Uh, they do draw a home matchup, so it's Belichick against Mike Vrabel, a former linebacker and hilarious red zone threat in uh, <laughs> the Belichick, the earlier Belichick era, I suppose. Um, Belichick's coming off a loss to a former disciple of his last week in Brian Flores. So that can lend something, some credibility, I suppose. And there's just not that much statistics on New England playing on Wild Card Weekend in general. So I don't know. Tennessee's been playing really well. Ryan Tannehill has been arguably the best quarterback over the last six or seven weeks. I believe he was AFC Player of the Week, for, or excuse me, month for December. And then you've got the rushing king, which I don't think enough people know about yet because he's such kind of a quiet player. But Derrick Henry finished with over 1,500 rushing yards. And these receivers, A.J. Brown is breaking out in a big way, strong candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And then you've also got Corey Davis, who has been kind of figuring out a little bit with more consistent quarterback play. you got Jono Smith, who's a bit of a wild card at tight end. So Mm -hmm. some interesting factors here for Tennessee. They have to go to Foxborough, which just inherently is dread for most organizations. But the way that Tennessee's playing and the way that New England's playing, does Tennessee actually have a shot here? They do, and they're going to win this game. Oh, <laughs> all right. And they're going to win the game. Um, they're like new. It's a lot of this is about how New England has struggled with like good teams for the most part all year, right? I mean, right. even Dallas. Obviously, the weather was kind of a factor in that one, but Dallas nearly beat them um, at their place. And I think Tennessee is far superior to Dallas and. Tannehill's playing really, really efficiently. Uh, obviously, Derrick Henry is tough to bring down, impossible. and uh, and nearly, yeah, nearly impossible. And I think this defense, especially in the front seven, it's sneaky good for Tennessee. So, um, and Jarrell Casey, nothing is one about of the, best. the New England offense scares me. So, I think Tennessee wins this game, and I think it's. I mean, to me, I, th- I think a lot of people are going to be surprised by it, but t- Tennessee is a really good nine seven team. I think. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're. Because they were fo- they were four and five, I believe, or something like that, and then Tannehill really turned it on, and since they've been just dangerous. Yeah, it, it's literally this team is night and day from when Marcus Mariota started the season versus where they are now with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, I, I he's gonna they should franchise tag him, but I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna you know when, when he gets paid a you know a pretty nice deal at the end of the season, he's he will have earned it, um, even mm-hmm. if he doesn't. Uh, play well against New England. I'm ultimately, I'm going with New England in this one. I'm just betting on the King. I don't bet against New England. I don't bet against Tom Brady, especially when they're playing at home. Give me the uh, the inherent victor here uh, versus, you know, I believe Tennessee's been in the playoffs, what, once or twice in the last five or six years? I'll take the guy. They've went 9-7 and seven, four straight years. Fun okay. fact for well, Tennessee Titans. <laughs> there you go. So, all right, so Drew's got Tennessee. I've got New England in the last one here. The Sunday night matchup following the Vikings game. Seattle heads to Philadelphia. So Carson Wentz will be carrying what? Greg Ward, Dallas Goddard, a hobbled Zach Ertz, a broken down offensive line, and some very, very suspect defensive players home with him to Philadelphia to face off against Seattle. This is like the injury bowl who mm. has no running backs except for now Marshawn Lynch is there, and you've got, the, what was it, Trevor, Trevor Travis Homer is the other running back in Seattle. Tyler Lockett, who has been inconsistent and ineffective the last several weeks. Russell Will, It's basically been the Russell Wilson show. So I think you can make an argument that these two teams, their quarterbacks kind of are the they, – they, they did more for They're their not winning team. their next playoff game is, I, what I, is what it comes down to. But these two quarterbacks have done more for their team than 
basically any other quarterback not named Lamar Jackson in the NFL yeah. this year. Yeah, especially the last month. Wentz has been a stud yeah. the last month or so. But uh, I'm going to take Seattle, and I think it's just because I think Wilson is going to ultimately make that one extra play uh, that I don't think Wentz will make. But really, just, I think it's going to come down to those two guys because neither of these rosters right now as, as an active roster are very good. Yeah. Philadelphia just doesn't have much left. Their secondary mm-hmm. includes Marcus Epps. Do you guys remember who Marcus <laughs> Epps is, by the way? I don't think you do because we talked about him in training camp for the Vikings. He's on the practice squad. He is included in that rotation in their secondary. They could probably right use Anderson Dayhill right now. They probably could. They could use a lot of guys right now. They have nothing left. So I'm picking Seattle as well, and I'm picking it strictly on the fact that they have nothing left. There's nothing there in Philadelphia. Like, they can't. They're not going anywhere in the postseason. It may Gosh, as well start in Seattle. This team beat out Dallas. How embarrassing. It's and, bad. That's and that. Jason Garrett is still employed as of this recording, by the way. Just, it's something. It's something down there. If I, dude, if I was a Cowboys fan right now, I would be livid. I would be very, very unhappy. So, it's always good when we end the show dogging on Dallas, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, thanks for listening. As always, you can find us on the Daily Norseman. Uh, leave us a comment if you like in the comment section below. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. If you want to watch this show, we are available on YouTube. Every single episode is, with the exception of a few earlier ones when I had some recording issues. Uh, and make sure you follow the Climb in the Pocket network in general. If you don't like Drew and I, there's probably someone that you will enjoy listening to. So, as always, Skull Vikes, and we will catch you guys next week. Oh.